We're talking about the FinCEN League. First question, these are all suspicious act or, or, or appear to be all suspicious activity reports. Why would a bank issue a suspicious activity report but not act on it? Oh, that's uh, a good one. Because uh, if you looked at how bank perceived their obligation as a financial institution's reporting institution at the beginning, let's say 15 or 20 years ago, they believe that their obligation is uh, if they find something that really is suspicious, they should report it. They are not the police. They are not an intelligence organization. They are a financial institution that on top of their financial services, they need also to, do, to detect potentially criminal activity and report on it. If you look at the FATF recommendations, which is the Bible for AML uh, controls and uh, philosophy, you will not find an obligation to do transaction monitoring, but you will find a recommendation to do suspicious activity reporting. And this, from the beginning, what bank perceived as their obligation. So once they did that, they felt that they complete and fulfilled their obligation. So it's not up to the bank to turn around to a customer and say, we really don't think you should be doing this. Moreover, there is another obligation that is called tipping off. That means that if as a bank I, I identify the suspicion, I'm not allowed. It's a criminal violation if I tell something about it to the customer. But throughout the years, and when I worked as head of compliance at HSBC, what we did at HSBC, which represents the common practice at large banks, that after we filed the SAR, and, or maybe two SARs, it depends on the procedure and the events, we, we took the customer to a client selection and exit management process, which means that the bank wants to evaluate the level of risk from this customer and whether to maintain the relationship or not. There's two sides to this issue. One is if as a bank you create a, a suspicious activity report and you file it with an organization like FinCEN, the ball is kind of in FinCEN's court to actually act on it if they think they should. Yes, people tend to misunderstand the role of the FIUs, financial intelligence units, such as FinCEN, and there is similar organization in each country. It's an intelligence unit. That means that as an intelligence organization, they need to provide information to the consumers, the, the law enforcement agencies, the FBI's of the world, the police investigators or the district attorneys. How do they do that and when? There are two approaches that were adopted throughout the globe. The most popular one is not to be proactive, is to be responsive. That means that as an intelligence organization, you collect all the financial reports, the suspicious activity reports from the financial institutions. And once, for example, me, Yaron Hazan, I was a police investigator in a very special unit in the police at the beginning of my career. So I was submitting requests for intelligence from the FIU upon reports that they received from financial institutions. So this passive approach is not the same approach throughout the world. In some countries, for example, in Germany, there is an obligation from the FIU to feedback or to response or to act upon a suspicious activity report within a timely manner. And now you see there were media publications recently that there are allegations against the FIU in Germany that they did not act 
upon these reports that they received because they had the intention not to act upon them or they just were not working good enough or doing the job good enough. When it comes to what was just published and FinCEN is part of the game, I think that the way the full cycle of participants from the banks to the FIUs for decades are not doing their job. And why, why do I say that? Because everybody knows that nothing is done on a timely manner with those reports. For example, there used to be jokes between banks in Israel when I was the head of compliance at HSBC in Israel. So we, the MLROs, the reporting officers, had jokes that we can put the names of our kids in a report or just drawings in the reports. And the next time somebody will ask us any question about it, it will be a year after that. No one is doing what he's supposed to do. Not the FIUs with the reports, the suspicious activity reports they receive, and not the banks with what they do with the customers after the report or what they do in order to, to identify the activity and submit the report. So the king is naked. Everybody know that the king is naked, but continue. One could be nasty and cynical and say it comes as no massive surprise to many people that the City of London is the centre most notable in its presence in these reports. Yeah, but, but again, the bad guys are smart. First of all, they select where to live, to have easy and comfortable life like all of us want. Second, they, know the, they understand the notion of which areas are more sensitive. So, for example, a few years ago, it was published a large scheme of Russian laundromat, it was called, a large scheme that lasts five years, how illicit funds came from Russia, Latvia, and some other small territories into the UK, France, and some other large European countries. They entered the financial system through Latvia, Russia, because they felt that it is easier. After this event was published, maybe it's easier now to enter the funds into the US. I don't know. But the perception that there are territories that will always be the preferred territories is wrong. This is why we are not understanding how to detect or how to identify the risks. When I put high-risk geography in my system, I determine that this country is more risky. Do the bad guys know that I determined that? Of course they know. So we'll go to another country. So what have I done for cross-border activity? I damaged the economy of Latvia because what happened there in the past. Banks like Citibank, Deutsche Bank, JP Morgan Stanley closed accounts for other banks, direct accounts, for other banks in those high-risk territories based on past events. What the bad guys did, move to London. <laughs> okay, let's look at the issue of false positives, because this is an issue, isn't it? That the bank's systems are basically submerging amongst the flags that are being raised. It's not surprising. It's a well-common fact for years now. And some reports published, I think one of your reports as well, 99% false positives, etc. So the reason for that is very clear. Those systems that were supposed to detect unusual behavior or potential suspicious behavior per AML or financial crime risk were not designed to do that. They're not designed to do that at all. And they do not fit for purpose at all. And everybody in the industry know it. Why? If you look again to the, let's say, the source of uh, the practices or golden practice or standards, the FATF, nobody says there that you should do transaction monitoring. But it's very clear that it should identify your customer, 
build the profile and the expected business activity of your customer. And based on that, detect what is unusual behavior for that customer. That means that if I know exactly what is your profile, what will be your income, where will be your countries of operations, what will be the volumes of your activity, the type of financial product that we'll use, once you're doing something different than what I understood based on your profile, I need to detect it and investigate it. What do current systems do in reality? They set predefined rules of potentially bad activity. I don't agree that it's bad at all, by the way. I gave the example of high-risk geography. Who says that this is high-risk geography? We can give example of cash as high-risk product. Some businesses use cash naturally and it's legitimate. So, and in any rule or scenario that you predefine, you can argue whether this scenario really represents a potential crime. Because remember, anti-money laundering is the financial crime that is attached to another severe crime, the predicate offense. So if, for example, somebody is a drug dealer, are these rule-based solutions aimed to detect drug dealing? No. So who says that they detect financial crime or money laundering? They perceive that money launderers will definitely use cash or definitely send money to or from high-risk geography? It's stupid to say it. First of all, because the bad guys know the rules, so they know how to bypass them. And second, once you set these rules and you look at it as a narrow perspective, you never understand what happened. You just limit yourself to a very, very short view of the data. Only those specific behaviors, or to be more honest, specific transactions that are more than the threshold that you defined, will, these are the only things that you will only look at. All the rest, you just ignore. So instead of looking at all the data, and finding the unusual behaviors for customers based on their profiles, you just limit the data to a very narrow view, less than 0.2% of the data in most banks, that upon this you set some rules and scenarios and thresholds, and you say, I will start my investigation from there. And then it's not surprising that you have 99% false positives because you didn't even look at the right direction. You just looked the other way and said, okay, no matter what the analyst will find, this is what I will report. What needs to be done to reduce the number of false positives, to identify the illicit activities that are slipping through the net? How can we resolve this issue? So here I will not provide any, anything new. If you look what the European Banking Federation published on March, there is a very thorough document that they describe how banks should move from a rule-based approach to a risk-based approach. If you look at what the Wolfsburg Group published in December 2019, they said banks should stop redundant work and should stop redundant control that did not end up with any effective measure and start doing smart things. So about stopping doing stupid things, everybody agrees. Nobody has the guts to do it, but everybody agrees that we should. But how can we do it better? And this is the best question because today with the technologies that we have today, we can do things so much better. I see every day results from Tetra, in my example, from artificial intelligence solution that runs multidimensional analysis on profiles of customers and show me unusual behaviors, exactly what was the regulatory expectation. And with all my 20 years experience in fighting financial crime, every day I find patterns and schemes that I could not predefine. And for each pattern and scheme that I find, I don't see just a specific indicator. Why is this suspicious? Because it's above 
$5,000 cash. No, I see for each pattern, the size, the volume, the value, of course, compared to history, of course, compared to other people in the, in the population or segment, I see the movement of funds to a new geography, regardless of if it's a high-risk geography predefined or not. I see concentration of activity with certain markets suddenly moving to certain markets, suddenly with new counterparties. I see many different customers that work with the same counterparty with small amounts. So it could be terrorist financing or illegal gambling or things like that. And these cases, we got confirmation from banks that the regulators approved that this was the case, that they found illegal gambling or they found terrorist financing. Who can find it with a rule-based solution that is tuned to detect anything above 50000 or $100,000 cross-border transactions? All these activities are always below thresholds. So you have to look the right way with the right tools and you will find it. I'm saying that bad, bad activity or criminal activity cannot be perceived or look like normal activity. It's not a normal activity. But if you look at it in a narrow perspective, you will not find it. But once you open your eyes and you try to look at the full picture and not only one piece at the puzzle, suddenly, immediately you will say, oh, this is suspicious. And this is what banks and regulators should do. Because if the FIU, the FinCENs of the world, will start using such technology, some of them started, by the way, and say, okay, we get so many reports, millions of reports per year. But every time we get a report, can we say if it's important or not? Can we say if it's a smoking gun or not? Now they don't know how to do it, so they don't do it at all. But once they will have such solutions, every time something really suspicious, really strange, really unusual, will highlight a pattern of new schemes, new laundromats, then the, all the industry, banks and regulators and the FIUs, will be able to respond on a timely manner. Because today, with those leaks, okay, so we found everybody now knows that between 1999 and 2017, there were many weaknesses. And the reports showed many activities, cross-border activities with sanctioned countries or for drug dealers or network of criminals that nobody really stopped. What, what does it matter now? Even three or four years after the case, the funds already implemented and consumed or uh, served legitimate businesses and legitimate people in London, as you mentioned, or in other territories. It's too late. But if you have good technology that can tell you immediately that something wrong is going on, then you're effective. And then you don't need all these rules and all these mechanisms and all these 10,000 analysts sitting in India or Poland or any place that it's not, too exp not expensive, the labor force is not expensive. So instead of investing so much in redundant controls and being always exposed to the media reports, reputational damage and fines, banks will be able to say, okay, if we need to identify if something is unusual, this is our way to identify it. And then when we see something, we can also explain why is it unusual. And then surprisingly, instead of having 10,000 alerts per month, you get only 1,000, but they are meaningful. So it will be a totally different story.